Well, you know, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting somebody that's going to tell you about how Disney did it. But today, we've got one of the originals, and I've got to say one of the best in the world, and more important, a very dear friend. We're going to be back in just a minute with Dennis Snow. People who inspire, empower, and guide us to our very best. Leaders who are walking the walk. Your host, leadership activist, author, and founder of the Sensei Leader Movement, Jim Bouchard. You know, Dennis Snow has a passion for service excellence, and he's consulted with organizations around the world on the subject. And Dennis's customer service abilities were born and developed over 20 years with Walt Disney World. In his last year with Disney World, Dennis's leadership performance was ranked in the top 3% of the company's leadership team. Well, now he's a full-time speaker, trainer, consultant, travels all over the world, and, and as I said before we, we started, uh, he's a dear, dear friend and somebody that I really turn to for wisdom and advice. Dennis, thank you so much for being on Walking the Walk. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jim. Glad to be participating in this. Well, let's dig right in because I've heard the story a couple times, but I want everybody to hear it. How did the whole Disney thing get started, and, and uh, what was what was Sir Walt's uh, leadership imprint on you? Yeah, well, That's are you talking about the, the Disney thing itself or how I started my, my beginnings? Oh, Disney? yours, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, I, was, I actually grew up in Vermont, and uh, I was on a break from school uh, at the University of Vermont, and thought, hey, it'd be pretty cool to to do something on this break. And my dad and my plan was, uh, I'm going to hitchhike out to Colorado and I'm going to live in the mountains uh, during the break. But it still and, snows out there. Yeah, I know. And my dad said, <laughs> you know, a better idea might be that <laughs> you always loved Disney World because we had visited when I was a kid. He said, why don't you see if you can get a job at Disney World? So uh, I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds good. So I hopped in my car, my old beat-up Oldsmobile, and drove down here, down to Florida. Uh, and lucky enough, I got a, got a job. It was going to be a three-month thing. Uh, started out driving the submarines at 20,000 leagues under the sea. Uh, to this day, the best job I've ever had. <laughs> uh, so it was going to be a three-month job. Um turned into a 20-year career where uh, I got into management and uh, then worked with the Disney University, the internal training side, then the Disney Institute, which is the external training side. And so I had a wonderful three-month career that turned into 20, 20 years. Uh, you know, that, that's, part of, that's, that's part of what I love so much about your story is because, you know, and I don't think it's necessary um, but I think some of the best leaders are those who, you know, have gone through all the ranks, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And learned and learned how to appreciate what happens on the front lines. Well, I was very fortunate with that, and and yes, I I, I agree. It, it may not be necessary, uh, completely necessary, but it sure is helpful mm. uh, to know what your frontline employees deal with day to day. Well, you did. I mean, twenty thousand. That, but that was a cool ride. I like that ride. It's not there anymore, but uh, it really was. It really was a, a great ride. But, you know, if you talk to many of the the uh, leadership team out at Disney, they will tell you almost the same story. Mm -hmm. It was just going to be a temporary job. It'd be a fun thing to do for a few months. And then it turned into a career. It's 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 very common in the, the, the management team out at uh, Disney World. 
And of course, that led you eventually to write, you know, the wonderful book, you know, Lessons from the Mouse. And before we dig into that, though, is it was there any I forget. I don't remember if you said you ever met Walt Disney in person. No, I never did. A lot of times people say, hey, did you ever did you work for Walt? Mm -hmm. I said, I must look a lot older than I am (laughs) because I was seven years old when Walt died. Oh, Uh, so yeah, yeah. Walt died in 1966. So, uh, so no, I never, I never met him. Well, you are, you are older than me. You're a year older than me. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm, uh, <laughs> so if you ever need any advice, let me know. No, but truthfully, uh, I didn't, I really didn't remember when Walt Disney yeah, died. Yeah, he died so. in 1966. Yeah. But that said, uh, all kidding aside, but he's there. I am a, I'm a big, big student of Walt Disney mm-hmm. and I've read, I, I'm pretty sure I've read every book ever written about him, uh, you know, any documentaries. So he had, I always say, other than my wife, Debbie, nobody's had a greater impact on my, uh, my life than Walt Disney. Well, is it, you know, and this is always an interesting question, I think, is it, was it the man or was it the method? I mean, did, was it really his imprint, his, his, uh, presence there mm-hmm. and, and maybe still there? Or did he create a process that can really readily be duplicated? It was the man at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, so both is the answer. But at the beginning, it was Walt Disney. He had a very... He was he was very focused on what he wanted to accomplish and what he wanted the company to accomplish and the direction and the level of quality. Uh, And so he was really the 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 person who set the tone for the organization and got people to do things that they never thought they could do. So when he died in 1966, they hadn't broken ground. You know, Disneyland was there, but they hadn't broken ground for Disney World yet. So when he passed away in 66, uh, one of the things that uh, the management now was facing was how do we go forward without Walt? You know, how do we how do we go forward without him? Mm. And that is when they really started to solidify many of the processes and approaches and mindset uh, of of how they were going to go forward without Walt at the at the helm. So it's really interesting to this day, you know, people that are starting working at Disney World or Disneyland or any of the parks today, you know. They know who Walt Disney was because they keep that message alive of what he was trying to create mm-hmm. and what he was what he was trying to do and and just the forward movement of the organization. So it started out it was the guy, you know, it was Walt, and for a long time, and then it became more of a okay. So what's the process behind all of this to keep it going forward? You know, it's it's interesting too because. The person's being such an imprint. I've I've talked to several people who have said, well, you know, these Disney methods are all fine, but it doesn't work for every organization. Now, you've carved a pretty nice career for yourself yeah. <laughs> sharing these ideas yeah. and helping other yeah. organizations adopt them. Yeah. What do you think about that? Is, is it something that anyone can adapt, or are there certain organizations where, you know, it just might not fit, and why? Well, the, cha- the challenge is that what, what causes that feeling is they see the scope of the place. They, they think about the scope of the place. And right, they, right. But we that's can't, the, right. That's we, not your focus, your fo- right? Yeah. The focus is the experience you're trying to create. Right. And I don't care what business you are in, what profession you're in, there's an experience component, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a, uh, a clerk at a, at a store, 
whether you work in a re- you know you work in a restaurant there's the product that you provide so for disney you know the rides the shows uh, in a restaurant the food and so forth but those are all commodities mm-hmm. you know people have a lot of choices for for any of those products the differentiator is always going to be the experience that you create and so that encompasses all of the touch points that are involved in that experience. So what Disney has done, and and I'm not saying they get it right every time. I would never say that, that they get it right every time. But they try real hard to make sure that all of those touch points are Disney and that they they create an experience that you feel good about, that you can't wait to tell other people about, and you can't wait to come back. And again, it applies to every business. I mean, I, I, I did a program one time for a group of probation officers. Mm-hmm. You know, so imagine that. No, you know, that, that makes so, sense to me. Yeah, so yeah, try yeah. and make that connection mm-hmm. of Disney and probation officers. So I even asked the question. I said, so what, you know, when they, we were playing on this, what do you guys think about this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said, well, the better the relationship that we have with those we serve, the greater the likelihood they're going to follow through on the rules and the processes and so forth. And I thought, okay, that makes perfect sense. So I have yet to come up against a profession or an industry that can't take at least some of the principles that I learned at Disney and put them into practice. If they're willing. If they're willing, and it takes commitment. And it's it's not rocket science. It Mm -hmm. is not rocket science, and it usually doesn't cost any money. Uh, It's it's about commitment and putting the dedication, and it's not a pill that you can take that suddenly changes everything. It's building that culture. Right. And, you know, one of the strongest intersections we have, and and as always, I mean, we haven't pulled it off yet, but we will soon. You know, I want to be in the same room with you and helping people, you know, adopt these ideas. but. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk about in leadership, uh, in fact, this was a cool saying. I don't know who said it, but I heard this the other day. I'm always off with the attributions. But mm-hmm. um, they were arguing about servant leadership, the term servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And what this guy said was he said, well, why are we arguing about this? Is there really any other kind of leadership? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. And I know, yeah. you know, I know a lot of your focus was customer service, but you have a strong component in the leadership space. And, you know, one of my feelings, I know we've talked about this before, but um, is that, you know, really leadership is customer service. You got to identify, you know, who your customers are and they're the people Mm -hmm. who trust in your leadership. But I I know we're singing in harmony, but you want to expand on that? Yeah. You know, when it comes to uh, that servant leadership, I think maybe the problem, and I don't know, but maybe the problem is people think of servant, the, the term servant leadership means I need to be a pushover. And that's not the case at all. Yeah, you know, I think service leader, servant leadership, being a good uh, good at that, is all about leading people in the right direction and mm-hmm. doing the things to set them up for success. And that's anything but being a pushover. Oh, in some cases, that means holding people very accountable mm-hmm. for their their performance. That to me is servant leadership as well. So when I look at what effective leaders do, they're the ones who engage their employees because the, you know, the employees are the face of the company Mm. that engage the employees in engaging the customers. And so the job of a leader is to facilitate that interaction. So it's as seamless as possible. 
So again, it's not an easy thing to do, but it's a matter of having that kind of respect. Can I tell you a quick story about respect? And I think it connects back to servant leadership. I wish you would. Yeah, I was I was I was a brand new supervisor. I just got promoted. And keep in mind, this was 1981. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, and I was getting ready to give my first verbal reprimand to a cast member. So I'd just been provo- promoted. Best title I ever had. Supervisor of Fantasyland. Great title. And uh, <laughs> that I was is getting a cool. Title. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. I wish I had saved one of the business cards. And uh, so I was getting ready to give this this verbal reprimand for somebody that had an attendance problem, which was a pet peeve of mine. So I was kind of excited about it. And I was getting ready. And my manager, who I the, the my who I reported directly to, came in and said, "So you're getting ready for your first reprimand?" And I said, "Yep, I'm going to let him have it." <laughs> and he and he sat down and he said something again. It has stayed with me to this day. He said, "Dennis, whatever you do as a leader, if you have to reprimand somebody, even if you have to fire somebody, when they walk out of that door, you make sure they walk out with their dignity." Mm. And that's a moment frozen in time for me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily just because Bruce, his name is Bruce Fox. It wasn't because he's just because he said it. He lived that philosophy, right? No matter what the situation was, you, you knew where Bruce stood and you knew what was expected, but you never felt disrespected. You know, that reminds me of, you know, one of the less, one of the lessons, one of the millions of lessons I learned from martial arts, but this one, especially from one of my dearest teachers, uh, Dr. Yang Zhuang Ming, and he was explaining the bow to us one time. And he said, you know, people think the bow is to lower yourself. He said, no, no, it's to elevate the other person. Right. Oh, I love that. And, and isn't that, doesn't that fit perfectly with what you were just saying? Yeah, I love a, that. Yeah. yeah. Well, martial arts is, you know, I mean, it's such a perfect metaphor for leadership anyway. Mm. Uh, Thankfully. You know, yeah, 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 that's right. Right. And, and, and uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. But, uh, but you think about just the relationship between the teacher and the student, mm-hmm. it's, it's all about respect, right? Well, it is. And you mentioned, you know, the idea that sometimes people can uh, confuse that or conflate the idea of servant with, with uh, a loss of dignity or weakness. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, the, the, one of the words that's thrown around so much in popular culture today associated with martial arts is samurai, right? It's in all the mm-hmm. movies, the samurai, right. well, the samurai literally means one who's dedicated to service. That's it. Oh, that's, that's right. That's what the word means. You know? That's awesome. That's yeah. that's fantastic. Listen, we've got to take a quick break, and then we're going to pick this up on the other side. Dennis, Dennis Snow, the author of Lessons from the Mouse, and I think one of the world's leading experts on the whole Disney Disney uh, philosophy and, uh, and leadership and, and customer service in general. We'll be right back. The research is bomb-proof. People perform at their best when and only when they know their leaders care when they know their work has meaning, and when they have the chance to learn, grow, and develop. To accomplish this, we need to connect with the people we serve, the people who trust in our leadership. Leaders today need emotional intelligence, strong interpersonal skills, and an accurate sense of self-awareness. I'm Jim Bouchard, leadership activist and founder of the Sensei Leader Movement. The Sensei enjoys a very special relationship with students. It's one built on respect, trust, and loyalty. And these are also a leader's most valuable assets. I help you build these relationships. I work with you to help you inspire, empower, and guide your people to their very best. That's what the best leaders do. And that's what the sensei does. My job is to help you be the sensei. So you can lead your people to their very best. 
and yours. Executive coaching, workshops, corporate training. Visit thesenseileader.com or call 207-751-4317 today to learn more. I absolutely never give an endorsement for a book unless I've read it and found it absolutely useful. And I've read Dennis Snow's Lesson from the Mouse several times. I recommend it constantly. You need Lessons from the Mouse on your bookshelf. As I said at the top of the program, you can't swing a dead cat these days without hitting a Disney expert. I probably should have said a dead mouse, but anyway, the problem is most of them never even worked at Disney. They either went through the Institute or they read a few books and they think they've got Disney down. Dennis is one of the genuine greats in the field. His level of experience is rare. He worked his way through the ranks at Disney from a ride operator to one of the top executives at Disney World, and he applies these principles in his own business every single day. Book him to speak at your next event. Bring him in as a consultant. His lessons from the mouse will take you and your organization to new levels. Visit snowassociates.com to find out how. That's snowassociates.com. Dennis, you know, before the break, we were talking a little bit about, you know, that idea of service as something something noble. Isn't, isn't that what we're really saying? That, yeah, uh, yeah. It really is a noble thing. And, you know, a lot of the organizations that I work with, too, and I think this is pertinent to our discussion, they have people who don't deal with external customers. Mm-hmm. They deal with internal people. They deal with, you know, they're, they're, they're handling things within the organization. They still serve others, though. You know, and, and you know, if you're not, if, if you weren't serving somebody in the organization, your job wouldn't exist. That's right. You're out of work. Right. It, yeah, wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't exist. Yeah. So you're either dealing with the external customers or you're dealing with the internal customers. Mm-hmm. But we all have a customer. And the, the same principles apply, uh, whether you're dealing with an external customer or an internal customer. Yeah, they do. And what's really interesting, though, too, about everything that, that you say and every, everything, you know, in Lessons from the Mouse, I've read that a dozen times and mm-hmm. shared that with, I can't even tell you how many people. But, um, you know, the, right now there's this, it's, it's puzzling, but there's still this great struggle between mm-hmm. process and humanity. And what's really interesting, a lot of our inbound is, interest has been coming from people in IT and AI. Mm-hmm. And you'd think they, were the, they would be the people that were least interested in humanity, but they're the most interested. They want that technology to, you know, to strengthen human relations, to, right, to help us be better human beings, not to distance ourselves. And so that, that's what's happening right now. I think we're in a yeah. very exciting but very volatile moment, right? And I know that, you know, and people that have watched the movies recently about Disney, that, what an imprint that was, the humanity all through that, even as the company scaled, right? In fact, right. I think after he was gone, I think Walmart went through a similar issue. Once, once that presence is physically gone, then it's a struggle to keep that, isn't it? Yeah, what do you do? What do you do? And, and I think that for me, one of the things I try to bring to my clients, and I, I mainly work with businesses uh, primarily, but, uh, but it works with churches. I mean, it, it's the, the same philosophy. And I think it works really well. And this is kind of what Disney, the, the mindset is, let's first identify what do we want the customer experience to be? Mm-hmm. And what I always tell my clients is zero in on three things. What are three things you would want your customers to say about their experience with your organization? Because that's your brand. You know, Your brand is really what people say about you. Once you've done that, and, and focusing in on those three really makes you think about what you want to make you different in the marketplace. Once you've identified, these are the things that we want our customers to say, 
then what has to happen in order for them to say those things mm. at all of the different touch points? And it really starts to fall into place. You know, so at Disney, the, you know, one of the things they want people to say is, man, the place was clean. It was so that was that's actually the number one compliment they get. Well, if we want our guests to say that, then behaviorally, it's pretty straightforward as a cast member, you know, an employee. If you see a piece of trash on the ground, you go over and pick it up and throw it away. You know, and so it starts with identifying that experience and then what are the behaviors that will deliver on that experience. Then I think our role as leaders is to take that content, to take that philosophy. Now you build it into, okay, let's make sure we're hiring people who are wired to deliver that experience. Mm -hmm. Let's train and communicate relentlessly about that. And I use that word relentlessly all the time. Let's build it into the accountability and recognition processes. So the the approach is pretty simple. Well, it's, it's, it's not rocket science. I, I don't want to make it sound easy because the hard part then is building it into all those processes. Yeah, simple isn't easy a lot of the time, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. right, right. And so that to me is what makes it work. Okay, so what do we want the experience to be? What's going to make that happen? Take that and build it into hiring, training, communication, accountability, recognition. That's how you build a culture of service excellence as a leader. You know, there's a couple of things that we could probably do 30 minutes on each of these. But first of all, uh, I think Disney was one of the first ones that really did this. And some people downplay this and, and it's become maybe it's become overused now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But instead of employees, the idea of cast members, the idea of, of, you know, getting people to think of themselves as as much more vested in the whole process. Right. And I know Richard Branson recently said this, you know, he said, I know they, they focus so much on the customer, on the external customer. But he said, you know, focus on your own people, build relationships with your own people. They'll take care of the customers. And it seems right. like it seems like that's really in sync. Both of those things are really in sync with what. You know, you, you yeah. share. Yeah. Well, the whole cast member thing, you know, and and you could look at it as just a cute thing. It, it that, could it, be, couldn't it, it? it? Yeah, and and if you think that's if someone thinks that's the answer, is you know having a, a different name for mm. what we call our employees. That's not the point. That was very strategic in that they wanted to people being hired to know you're not being hired to do a bunch of tasks. You're you're being hired for a role in the show, it's bigger than the tasks. Mm. So it's not just about sweeping the streets or loading people on rides or serving hamburgers. It's about making a connection and having that experience. So one of the things that I love, and I see this now at, at Disney when I go out there, and I just love it. You'll see cast members sweeping up, you know, the, the custodial folks sweeping up leaves, okay? So you can sweep up leaves as a task. But then you notice they sweep them up into the shape of Mickey Mouse, ah. <laughs> where people literally take uh. photos of the leaves you yeah. just swept up. Yeah. That, to me, is the mindset of the difference between you're being hired to do a task or you're being cast in a role in the show. So it's not about just the term cast member. It's about all of the things that surround that. And the leaders have to embody that all the way down the line, don't they? Because if you, right, I mean, that's why yeah. we call the show Walking the Walk. If you're not walking the walk, nobody's going it, to, it just becomes a title at that point. Yeah. My favorite photo of Walt Disney, and um, it was taken probably in 1959, mm-hmm. and it's of him at Disneyland, 
and he's picking up trash off the ground. Yeah, yeah. I just love that picture. Isn't that so uh, much more powerful than pointing a finger and say, hey, pick that up? <laughs> that's exactly. So I, yeah. the way I like to think about it is imagine that new cast member in training at Disneyland mm-hmm. and his or her trainer says, and if you see a piece of trash on the ground, you know, one of the things we do is pick it up and throw it away. And at that mm-hmm. moment, you turn around and there's Walt Disney, you know, picking up Coke cups and popcorn boxes. Oh. That's pretty, that's about as good as training is going to get. Oh, I can, you know, I can't tell you how many times in workshops and whatnot, people, you know, they, they want to pin down this idea. And, and I purposely kind of put myself in a corner with this. So, you know, how really do you, you know, talk about inspiring all the time. How do you inspire? I said, there's nothing more inspirational than your example. Right. Mm-hmm. And what, what you just talked about, people are always looking for the grandiose, right. right? It doesn't have to be. It's those simple things, right? That really, really make an imprint. And you, and you said it an so well, too. An exercise that dis- I often do in workshops. Right? right. Oh, yeah. The, the discipline of doing it and knowing that people are watching. Yeah. Uh, one of the exercises I often do in workshops is uh, to have a discussion of what are le- – at the end of the, the session, so we've talked about all this. So what specifically are behavior, leadership behaviors that would walk the talk of everything we just right. discussed? And then what are leadership behaviors that would demonstrate I'm not committed to the things we just talked about? So non-walk the talk behaviors. And it's really a, an eye-opener for folks to sit down, especially with the non-walk the talk behaviors. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when they walk by that piece of trash or that telephone that's ringing, and we've all done it, right? You know, we've mm-hmm. all we've all mm-hmm. done it, but it it takes the discipline to think. You know what? People know what we value by what we do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I never like to turn these into. Let's go point by point down the thing, but I I do want you to hit uh, a little bit about your book, and talk about you know one or two of the points that you think uh, what would be most applicable in a leadership context. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the book is called Lessons from the Mouse, Applying Disney World's Secrets of Success to Your Organization, Your Career, and Your Life. The world's longest title. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to submit you to Guinness, right? Yeah. Yeah, I just go with Lessons from the Mouse. But uh, it's 10 lessons that I learned during the, that, that career there. And uh, a couple of the, the things that I think that, that really apply in any you know, for for anybody in a leadership role and, and really any role, one of the the the, the chapters is everyone has a customer, mm. and it goes into that whole idea that we talked about of internal external service, supporting your people, setting them up for success. Uh, another chapter is is titled. Another lesson is know what frustrates customers and do something about it. So from a leadership perspective. It's setting our people up for success and either removing or at least alleviating those barriers to delivering excellent service. Because my feeling is most organizations, they know exactly what frustrates their customers. Mm. They just don't do anything about it. Yeah, or they get Uh, angry about it. (laughs) Or they get angry about it, or they they stick their head in the sand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think what world-class organizations do is – they're the ones that actually do something about those frustrations. Mm. And the best way to do that is to engage your people in what do you find for us? You're the ones out on the front lines. What do you find frustrates our customers? And what are some things we can do about it? There it is. You're not going to solve every issue, 
but you're you're not only making the customer experience better by doing that, but you're you're also making the employee experience better by doing that. Oh, isn't that so true? And you, and you just hit on yeah. such an important thing. You know, that, that's that is leadership at all levels, right? That you're mm-hmm. and the willingness to to not only accept but to solicit input. And you know, it's funny right. when you mentioned. I love that you're saying frustration because another fortune cookie back from the martial arts days. Frustration is the well from which all wisdom springs, right? Oh, wow. That's <laughs> if, great. <laughs> if you're willing, if you're willing yeah. to embrace it, right? Yeah, yeah. And and so many organizations, they, they know what frustrates customers. They mm-hmm. just don't do anything about it. And when you're the one that does, you're a beacon of light to your customers. There you, you go. Know, when, yeah. Let's hit one more before we wrap it up. Well, the, the final chapter of the book, and this applies to, again, anybody in an organization, anybody in life, uh, is take charge of your own career, that I think a lot of times one of the big frustrations that employees and and really any of us have is when we kind of sit back and wait for things to happen to us. So one of the things when I'm working with frontline employees and organizations is I always touch on the fact of, you know, let people know what you want to do, you know, craft your future in thinking about what you want. And it's not going to go perfectly. Nothing's ever going to go perfectly, but the most frustrated people that I see in in business lives in, my, in their business lives are people who sit back and wait for things to happen. Mm. When I look, when I reflect back on my Disney career, when I look at the people who, man, they just looked like they were having the best time. They were really engaged. They were the people who said, who stepped up and said, "I'll do that. Yeah, I'm willing mm. to do that. I'll help mm-hmm. out with that. I'm willing to stay late." And I don't care what what role you have in an organization, whoever it is you report to just loves employees, you know, again, at whatever level, who are willing to step up and be part of the solution versus the folks who just kind of wait to happen, wait for things to happen. So to me, that's just such a key part of, of life in general is don't sit back. You know, take charge of your own career and let people know what you want to do and do what it takes to get there. Ask before you're asked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's a great way to say I wouldn't, yeah, that's yeah. my, that's my next chapter that I'm going to add that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to sue you for copyright infringement. That's right. right. <laughs> no, no, you're yeah. welcome. According you're, to Jim Bouchard. You're welcome. Yeah. To yeah, it. yeah. Yeah. So, so that, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, I learned that early on in my Disney career. You know, when I yeah. started there, there were 10,000 people that worked there. Mm-hmm. It was easy to get lost in the shuffle. And so if you didn't step up and, and let people know what you wanted to do, uh, not necessarily that you're going to get everything that you wanted, but you had to at least let people know. Well, now there are 77,000 people who work there. Mm. And uh, so you've got to, and again, you've got to be willing to step up. You know, it's so interesting though. And, and uh, as, as we close, it's, so many people say, you know, Jim, these ideas are so good. They're so nice. But, you know, I've got 10,000 people. I've got 20,000 people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, my first response to that is, how many do you work with directly? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> Most right. Of the time, well, 10, yeah. 12. Well, let's start yeah. there, right? Isn't well, it? and you're absolutely right, Jim. That's what it comes down to is the people that you have direct influence mm-hmm. over. Right. And that's, that's, that's a wonderful way to look at this is what is my sphere of influence as a leader 
and how can I have the greatest impact? Now, if you're leading other leaders, hopefully part of that impact is teaching them how to do the same thing with their direct reports. So it cascades throughout the organization. Right. Absolutely. Well, listen, let's, let's, uh, we've got to have you back again. Yeah. I would love to come back. I feel like we just got started. No, no. Well, we're going to put you on the regular list. All right. That sounds Sounds good. good. Sounds great to me. Let's, uh, let's tell people how to get in touch with you and how to find the book. So the best way to, to, we try to use our website as the hub of everything to make things easy for my books, for my blog, for information about presentations. So it's www.snowassociates.com. So www.snowassociates.com. So we've tried to make all the you know, that'd be the hub of all of our communication approaches just to make it easy for everyone to eliminate frustrations. And listen, one of the excuses I've heard, you've got to have Dennis into your organization, not because he, you need him to fix you. All right. One of the excuses I've heard so often over the past couple of years, and I hate it, is, mm-hmm. you know, we're all set. We're good enough. No, yeah. the best leaders, the best organizations have what we call in martial arts, beginner's mind. We're never finished, happy but not satisfied, always looking for the next way to learn, to grow, and develop. And let me tell you, um, if you're a lousy organization, I can't help you. Dennis probably doesn't want to help you. (laughs) If you're a strong organization... Dennis is going to help make you stronger yeah. and keep you there, right? And that's that's a never-ending process. Well, that's one of the things, you know, the best time to to say how do we get better is when you're already doing well. That's it. Perfect. Yeah. That's a perfect way to wrap things up. Thank you so much, Dennis. My pleasure. You're a wonderful interviewer, Jim. This was great. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode of Walking the Walk. Please like and share. Our mission at the Sensei Leader Movement is to support and develop human-centric leaders, leaders who put people first. Leaders who inspire, empower, and guide people to their very best. Be part of the movement. Join and access all our free resources by visiting thesenseileader.com. To book Jim or host your own event, call us at 207-751-4317.